famous Blue Ridge Parkway, nowhere near the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania, except for now, when it's mostly about drinking in western North Carolina. Welcome to the first of our On the Road episodes this year, episode 18, Up in the Mountains in Ash County. Kathy and Pippin and I are in North Carolina. We drove eight hours down I-81, stopping to see two covered bridges in Bedford County on the way. We're staying at the wonderfully cozy mountain home of my brother-in-law Carl and his wife Joan. We've been sightseeing, bike riding, and eating and drinking for a good week and a half now, and it's time to tell you about it. These on-the-road episodes are about seeing what else is out there, which I've always found isn't just good for itself, it's also good at making me appreciate what I've got at home. After all, traveling is how we found Milheim in the heart of central Pennsylvania that we love so much. Ash County reminds me quite a bit of the episode we just did on Phillipsburg and Clearfield. Ash is also out in the country, on the western side of the Blue Ridge and the Eastern Continental Divide. It's one of three western counties of North Carolina that were called the Lost Provinces in the 19th and early 20th centuries. There were no good roads to the area, what railroads there were tended to be lumber-hauling short lines, and they were largely forgotten by the government in Raleigh. That's changed now, of course. For instance, there's nowhere near as much lumber that comes out of here, but chances are good that if you bought your Christmas tree from a lot, anywhere from Atlanta all the way up to Boston, it might have come from Ash County. It's their major export. A lot of tourism has come to the area as well, largely based on the abundant outdoor recreation opportunities and natural beauty. The Blue Ridge Parkway runs through the area, as does the south branch of the New River. We went up to the top of Mount Jefferson, 1,600 feet above the town of Jefferson, and simply stared at the landscape of mountains, forests, and small towns for almost half an hour. Dozens of kayakers and tubers made colorful dots in the river far below, In fishing season, you'll see a small army of anglers down there. But the grand beauty of the mountains and rivers is matched on a smaller scale by the villages and hollows. It seems as if there is something to treasure around almost every corner, and there are a lot of corners on these small and winding roads. Around two of them, you'll find the Ash County frescoes, beautiful examples of this art form on display in two Episcopal churches in West Jefferson and Glendale Springs. When you drive down these crooked roads, you'll pass cliffs, streams, old houses and boldly built new ones, little towns with old-timey stores and lunch counters, and not a chain restaurant in sight. We're very local, one person told me, and I thought, that's what seen through a glass is all about. I've got several shorter interviews for you this episode. Two breweries, a cidery, a cheesemaker, and a sausage maker. We're going to get right to it. But first... Here's what I'm drinking today. (sighs) One of the surprising draws of West Jefferson, the nearby revived small town, is the local Dr. Pepper bottling plant. They still make soda, or pop, or soft drink, with cane sugar, and they bottle it in glass. It has a solid following among soft drink fans, and it's not just because of that. It's the variety. Besides Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew, they also bottle Nehi, the cult-following fruit sodas, in peach, grape, and orange, RC Cola, which is Nehi's cola brand, Cool Mountain, the Chicago-based fruit sodas, 
And supposedly the Texas-based Big Red, though I haven't seen any of that around here. But they also bottle Cheerwine. And since that cherry soda is a North Carolina original, I decided to do that one. Cheerwine pours a dark, wow, like a Bing cherry juiced. It's that kind of red. It's that reddish garnet purple. It's gorgeous stuff. And it it smells like cherries. It smells like squeezing a handful of cherries. Let me just, I'm going to get right to it here. Mm. Good carbonation, which is really important in a soft drink. And the cherry flavor tastes real. It doesn't taste like biting into a cherry. I'll admit there's, the tartness is not there. But there is enough of that to balance it. And the cherry flavor is intense. Mm. Wow, it's really good. And the cane sugar just, there's a difference. There's a fullness in the mouth and a, mm. wow, it finishes clean. That's really good. We're going to take some of this home because Nora really likes it as well. But uh, I'm going to make sure I get at least one bottle of it to drop some vanilla ice cream into. Because I have the suspicion this is going to make a really good float. You know, that was one of the first things we noticed when we visited West Jefferson five or six years ago. There were Cheerwine and Dr. Pepper vending machines everywhere. And they dispensed the sodas in glass bottles at strangely reasonable prices. It's just another example of good local business that doesn't make sense on a larger scale. And, you know, another thing you noticed right away in West Jeff is the Ash County Cheese Plant with its three big cow sculpture milk tanks and the company store right across the street. Carl and Joan took us here on our first trip to the mountains, and we loved the array of cheeses, the locally made country ham, candy, snacks, and fresh ice cream. It's one of the biggest attractions in town along with tours of the cheese plant. You maybe wouldn't think, see cheese being made, would be a draw, but it is, and it should be. I wanted to know more about how this all started, so I asked for an interview. Hey, I'm here with Josh Williams, one of the owners at Ash County Cheese in West Jefferson. As I understand it, the, the history of the place, Kraft originally built the place, is that right? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, when, when it was built in 1930, uh, there were a lot of dairy farms in the area and uh, needed a localized place for the milk to be received. Okay. Uh, so uh, Kraft uh, built a facility here uh, in West Jefferson in 1930, and it was called Kraft Phoenix Cheese uh, okay. for, for a long time. Yeah. And then went through a couple of changes. It went through and a, wound up... Right. Uh, yeah, I think uh, initially the plant manager purchased... Uh, Purchased it and then renamed it Ash County Cheese, and okay. then it, and then it was sold two or three other times. Uh, uh, my father-in-law, uh, Mike Everhart, and his partner Tom Torkelson purchased uh, the facility in 1992. And then Wisconsin people, and then Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin, yeah, they, they know a little about cheese. Yep, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've uh, actually owned several cheese factories. Okay. And, uh, uh, I, I mean, I have to admit, when I was looking at this and I saw the name Torkelson, I'm like, yeah, we're in good hands. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and. Uh, Back in 2010, myself and my brother-in-laws purchased Mike's portion uh, of the of the plant, okay. and uh, so we're all partners along with Tom Torkelson Steel. Uh, and then uh, the retail store, which is actually a separate company, yeah, I saw uh, that right. Uh, was, so you're across the street from each other, right? Yeah, uh, and it's owned uh, by myself and uh, my. Uh, uh, 
wife's brother and sister. Okay. Yeah. So, it, and is this all local milk? It's all coming from the area. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do. We get milk primarily from uh, about a fifty mile radius. Okay. Uh, we do get uh, occasionally get a load of milk a little bit further out. Uh, I mean, is there something about this area, or is it just a lot of dairy farmers? Or well, you know, uh, back in uh, in, in the early 1900s, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was a lot of dairy farms, uh, and, uh, over the years, uh, in, in Ash County primarily, a lot of the dairy farms, uh, switched to Christmas tree farming. Oh, right. Uh, That's a, lot, a big deal. Uh, right. Uh, Ash County's the Christmas tree capital of the U.S. Yeah. More, more trees come out of here than any other county. Uh, so, so a lot of, uh, the trees, or a lot of the, the, the farmers that had, uh, Dairy farms, you know, it's, it's a lot easier, a lot less. Uh, it ain't yeah, every day, right? Is it? <laughs> you don't have to milk a tree every day, right. so uh, so that's uh, that's kind of. And then the land values got so much, oh, uh, you know that uh, they started selling land and that type of stuff. Sure, made more sense to develop, in. right? So uh, so right now, there's only one active dairy farm in Ashkenley. No kidding. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and that's Cheeks Dairy Farm. We're, we we work some along with them quite a bit on some stuff. But uh-huh. We actually don't carry any of their milk. We, we get some of their cream okay. uh, for butter and then uh, uh, to make ice cream and that type of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, uh, we don't get their milk. So what, what, what kind of cheese do you make? I, mean, I remember reading that the, the craft plant was essentially made up to... Set up to make cheddar. That- yes, uh, and and we're really we're making the same thing primarily uh, what what the plant was made up you know set up to make, which is the twenty two pound wheels of of hoop cheese or hoop cheddar, mm-hmm. uh, which is primarily just a uh, a cheddar cheese. It's it's usually sold mild uh, and and doesn't have a lot of age on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, that's still our main product. What okay. we make, uh, but. Uh, in the last 20 years, we went from probably that being 90, 95% of our production, probably down to about 80, 75 to 80% of our okay. production now. We, I mean, because we, we got a bunch of other stuff that we do. in the store. Yeah. We do. And we uh, we make, uh, you know, all the cheeses that we make over across, of course, are sold in the store. But we make about 25 to 27 different varieties okay. of cheese, all mostly primarily uh, cheddars and jack cheeses. Uh, that are we're just adding different and ingredients uh, sure. to. So uh, we do make you know Gouda, Usto, which is totally different cheeses, but uh, but mainly the Jacks and the Cheddars. I just saw that last one you mentioned for the first time. What what kind of cheese is that? Usto is a uh, Scandinavian uh, cheese. It's actually made in a forty pound block and then cut into smaller, usually half inch thick thick pieces or so, and then run through an oven. Oh. And, and the um, has a higher pH than than like cheddar does, so it doesn't melt. It actually caramelizes. Oh, nice! Uh, so it's uh, it's kind of uh, baked bread cheese is what they would used oh. to call it, but uh, uh, it's very very good. It's kind of like a kind of like a breadstick without the breading, uh, and and used to uh, a lot. Of, like, you can eat it for breakfast with honey or syrup, or you can. Uh, uh, you know, eat it as an appetizer with a chutney or a marinara or something like that. Okay. So it's got a lot of different uses. Yeah. But, uh, so the, uh, uh, I mean, I, and I speak from experience, the cheese shop has become quite a tourist attraction. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, like I said, uh, not many cheese plants in North Carolina. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, uh, the cheese plant is, is one of the draws, but, uh, 
you know, as far as the store, uh, we've been very fortunate and blessed uh, here. West Jefferson has done a wonderful job to uh, uh, kind of beautify itself in the last 15, 20 years, make it very pedestrian friendly. Yeah, the amazing. Uh, so, um, um, and then... Uh, Said, your, your three cows don't hurt them. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, just got, they just got painted again oh, last nice. week. So they've got a nice fresh coat right. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, cows have been a big hit. And uh, um, like I said, we, you know, most people that uh, come to West Jefferson end up uh, coming by and, and checking out the shop. And uh, people uh, like to uh, like to eat. So food... Uh, don't don't seem what matters what the economy is. Sandwiches the, too, right? Yeah, we and we have a food truck okay. where we do uh, sandwiches and stuff. Uh huh. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank All you right. for stopping yeah. by. <laughs> there are two breweries in town as well, and you know I went there. I stopped at New River Brewing's Tap Room and Brewery first. It's on the edge of town. You can't miss it. I talked to Adam Hirschner, the co-founder with his father, Greg, and head brewer. It was a cool morning before they opened, and we sat in the tap room. So, hey, I'm, uh, I'm here with Adam Hirschner. Uh, we're at New River Brewing. This is the brewery and tap house? Uh, tasting room. Tasting room. Okay, yep. so we're out on the, on the edge of West Jefferson? Yep, yeah. we're right on the line. Actually, the intersection there is Jefferson. Oh, okay, so all right. right so we're line. right on it. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so this place opened in... Oh, we started the restaurant. It was we, we opened the oh, little right. brewery up the place in, in town. For, we're, oh. we're up in oh. Lansing even before that. Okay, it's pretty close to where I grew up, where my parents still live. Oh, I remember it was down yeah. on the river there. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we started that in late 2016. Okay, we started applying for all the permits and everything, and then officially started in early 2017. Okay decided that we needed to open up a tasting room. Mm-hmm. And so to do that, we had to come down either to Jefferson or West Jefferson. Um, West Jefferson just happened to be a little bit closer. Um, there's more things happening here. Yeah, You get a little bit more uh, foot traffic and everything. So that's when we opened up the, the restaurant and, uh, and the brewery over there. At that point, I upgraded to the three-barrel brew system. And, uh, and just started making beer and just selling it there. Right. You know, we pretty much stopped doing any distribution at that point. Well, I mean, you're making a lot more money yes. selling by the glass. A yeah. lot more money and a lot less, you know, having to go out and just walk the streets trying to get, you know, people to buy a keg of beer that they've never heard of. Yeah. And then it turned into a full-fledged, you know, restaurant. that We really hadn't anticipated doing that. We just wanted snacks to go with the beer. But now the restaurant is kind of its own animal. So how can we open the second place? Well, the the brewery grew again. Uh Um, I'm now on a... Oh, the the brewery, the actual equipment. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I went up to a five-barrel system, and uh, there there wasn't room for the restaurant and the brewery to both be in the same place. Okay. And so we just... We we found this place. It used to be a muffler shop. And so um, the guy that used to own it was one of Dad's patients for ever. Nice looking place. I did, I did never well, guessed it was you. a muffler shop. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, these garage doors used to be here, but they weren't the, the glass see-through. Uh-huh. You know, they were just regular garage doors. Um, they had the big bay in the back. We kind of just split the place in half, and, you know, it's big enough that we can have the brewery kind of in the back half and still have the tasting room yeah. aspect. Yeah, I like the big bar. That's mm-hmm. cool. So how would you describe the the beers you make here? What What's your... Eh, I mean, I... I I really personally like 
kind of older, you know, older styles. And I don't, I don't try to keep up with all the milkshake this and, and I drink more just simple lagers than anything these days. You know, I, one of our best sellers is our, our hazy IPA. Sure. You know, but that's, that's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and actually our, our biggest seller is, it's called Skeeter P. And so it's a, it sort of toes the line between like a malt beverage and a seltzer kind of thing. It's, okay. Flavored? Yes. Okay. And that, that has been kind of fun to play with, just all the different flavors you can throw into it. Um, I just keep the same the same uh, sort of base uh-huh. product and just, you know, do different Change flavors. Change up the flavors. Yeah. Cool. So what is your favorite beer to make? Uh, I mean, what do you enjoy? What's... I am, I kind of keep going back to lagers uh-huh. now. You know, back when I got into craft beer, I was all about, you know, big stouts and, sure. you know, barrel-aged stuff and all that. But now I'm, I, I really appreciate the simplicity of, like, a, just a, a straight-up Pilsner. And I'm, now I'm kind of getting more into, like, the historical styles. Oh, okay. Well, I saw one one tank back there labeled Farmhouse. Are you doing yes. a... Yes. Yeah? yeah. So I, I, it's, I, it's not technically a, a Saison. Um, it's it's a little bit sweeter, uh-huh. um, but I've done that one. Oh gosh, about since we opened. Okay, it's it's one of our better sellers. It's, nice, it's that's good to hear. Technically, is a Belgian amber, I guess. Okay, um, it kind of toes the line between that and the saison. Um, I'm glad to hear it sells. Yeah, yeah, very much. We're actually canning more of that toward the end of this month. Okay, we have a, a mobile canner that comes up periodically, oh, nice. and we just we can. Oh, three or four different ones. But that's just for takeout from here. Yes. From, yeah, yeah. It's not for. Right. Yeah. Right. We're, we're not doing any distribution. I mean, I, I do a little bit, like yeah. up, up to Pie on the Mountain in Lansing. Oh, okay. You know, but they're buying a, a couple cases a month. It's nothing. Yeah. Nothing crazy. More nostalgia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People remember you up there? Yeah. Yeah. The other place in town. Yes. Is a smokehouse? Is that right? Yes. So what's, what's the menu like there? It's really heavy on burgers wings uh sandwiches you know we do some wraps um, okay. stuff like that but we do we do have a smoker and we do you know pulled pork and ribs and all that kind of stuff cool and um, you have a somebody's was that like a permanent food truck I yes okay. yeah we had we had looked at doing a food truck but to do that we had to have a commissary kitchen to be able oh. to receive food deliveries and okay. everything plus food trucks now that they're so popular have gone up astronomically oh, in price sure you know, so it, it's it's worked out better for us doing it a permanent spot like that. We uh-huh. keep it all separate from the brewery, so I don't have a health inspector coming here, you know, oh, yelling okay. about my, you know, bags of grain and stuff on yeah. the shelf. Like, <laughs> but they they do it's super simple menu. It's smash burgers. Uh, they do fries and then beignets for dessert. Oh, wow! And that's, okay. that's worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Simple is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy, especially that, for the I mean, when you're in a tasting room, kind of yeah. Yeah, 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 it kind of goes along with it. Kind of keep it simple. And yeah, just really, just execute it well. Just do really good, consistent, you know, but just simple. You know, we don't need forty-eight different burgers. Right. Um, we just have something for people to to eat on while they're here. Yeah. You know, the goal is to still, you know, for us to be in here selling beer. And right. People That's are more, the... they're more likely to stay if there's a food option. Yeah. So that was kind of the idea there behind you go. that. Well. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Thanks Thank for taking you. the time. Yeah, for sure. All right. right Take on. care. Now, the second brewery I got to was actually the first in town, Boondocks Brewing. Founder Gary Brown likes to say that when he got here, there were no sidewalks, and there were a lot of empty storefronts on Main Street. Things have changed a lot in just over 10 years, 
and downtown West Jefferson has been used as a model for reviving other small towns. It's not all new businesses like Boondocks, either. The expansion meant new business for places like the Dr. Prepper plant and Ash County Cheese, and for the outfitters and guides whose businesses have expanded because of more people finding Ash County and its fishing and hunting and hiking. I couldn't quite sync up my schedule to interview Gary, but I did get to interview his relatively new head brewer, Jake Cullen. One of the things I was sure to ask Jake, why is it that both of the two breweries in West Jefferson, which only has a population of 1,200, have two locations, both in West Jefferson? It's an interesting answer. Hey, I'm here with Jake Cullen, the head brewer at Boondocks Brewing in West Jefferson, North Carolina. How you doing? Doing great here in the beautiful West Jefferson. Yes, it is. Yeah. Good day today. So how'd you wind up here? Um, I started homebrewing for about four or five years out of the garage, and uh, I literally fell into this spot. I was sitting at a bar, and they said, hey, do you want to be a brewer? <laughs> And, you know, I not an opportunity I wanted to pass up. So this was my first commercial wow. setting that I just kind of got dropped into by, by chance. Uh-huh. How about but that? That's, that's how I ended up here. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That rocks, man. I'm living the, <laughs> living the dream. I'll never work a day in my life again. What uh, system are you working on? Five-barrel? Ah, uh, yeah. So we do have a five-barrel system, uh, a few five-barrel fermenters with one ten-barrel. Okay. So... And you got a double batch when you fill that up. Those what's, are long uh, what, are you, what are you double batching? What's your big seller? Uh, we do have Honey Orange Kolsch. It's one of the flagship beers been here since we opened up. Uh, clean, crushable, just German Kolsch. Locally sourced uh, honey and orange peel out of Helton Creek up the road. Nice. And so that's, that's something as we get into this conversation you'll notice. Uh, local supports local. Uh, we try Good. to do everything we can to keep it within the community yeah we we like local on this podcast perfect we like it a lot i like them too now <laughs> the beers that you brew here do you i don't know, i don't philosophy is a lot of word what what kind of beers are you brewing what are you brewing them for like, like what's your clientele like uh wide range okay. uh, west jefferson being a big tourist spot uh we try to hit all the seasonals you know saisons in the spring and summer uh, we do a Marison beer, an Oktoberfest in fall, uh, winter, we'll bring around more stouts, but uh, it's a large repertoire. I think on four fermenters, we have 14 on tap right now. That's um, nice. Ranging from American brown ales, uh, IPAs, juicy IPAs. Uh, we're getting ready to keg a Mexican lager, so a cerveza that's corn-based. Okay. Um, yeah, just about everything. Uh, we do Belgians, triple Belgians. Um, and it's all sold out of here in the other place? Yep. So uh, everything we make is sold here at our uh, brew house. But then also right down the block, we have the restaurant. Uh, and we are just now tapping into wholesale accounts. Uh, uh, trying to okay. get our beers in more locations. Draft. Yeah, draft. Yeah. Cool. Uh, working on canning. That way we can get into a grocery store, but... Uh, preferably be able to pasteurize the beer before we get there. Uh, Our beer is unpasteurized, okay. so shelf life would not be good at room yeah. temperature. So that's the beers you make. What what are the ones you really like to make? Do you have a um, favorite? Do you have a favorite type? It might be blasphemous as a head brewer. <laughs> I don't like IPAs. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a trend that was going to die out 10 years ago, but oh they're, they're no, kind of here to stay. I in 96. Wow, this is a trend that's not going to make no. it. Yeah. yeah, and now they're here. Um 
But I enjoy uh, lagers, uh, pilsens, good clean beers. Uh, difficult to make because you have nothing to hide behind hops, any other flavors. Uh, we were discussing the Mexican cerveza coming out. Uh, one of my favorites was the uh, Mountain Fog Lager. It's just a good international amber, amber red okay. uh, lager. You know, as a head brewer, I have a blank canvas. I can do whatever I want to a beer. I don't have to, while I am a traditionalist, I do want to follow certain ABVs, SRMs, IBUs, and, you know, our water ion profile for a beer style we're trying to do. At the same time, you could go crazy and make something like a blonde stout and put Ghirardelli white chocolate in it. Who's going to stop you? Yeah, I mean, the the formulation's got to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that's... Anybody could follow a recipe. When it comes to making one, that's when you get into... That's brewing. Yeah, that's all the chemistry. Um, my other brewer here is actually a ex-chemistry professor. Oh! And I went to college for chemistry, so we nerd out really hard here at Boondocks cool. over our beer. I have to ask, there's two breweries in town, and they each have two places. Is there something going on here that I'm missing, or... It just seemed weird. Uh, no, there's so in North Carolina, uh, the law is you could have up to four locations of the same name if it's a brewery. Oh, okay. So a lot of people they'll open up tap rooms in uh-huh. different cities. Uh, here we kind of have the restaurant tap room down the street. This is more of our manufacturing side of things. This is the actual brewery. Oh yeah, this place is only open weekends. Days a week? yeah, yeah, on the weekends okay. uh, right. we have fun down here. We do karaoke, and live <laughs> music, okay. trivia. Uh, but same with the other places. They have the restaurant and tap room in the town. Mm-hmm. Then right outside of town, they have their manufacturing okay. going gotcha. on out there. That uh, makes sense. No, yeah. no we, there's no big secret. We're keeping no, from we have, anybody. We have weird liquor laws in PA, too, oh. so I get this. Yeah. I mean, this is essentially a tourism episode for me. Cool. Visit Main Street. Um, yes. It's incredible. Uh, yes. We were going to talk about Gary, you know, as being such an integral part of Gary, this town. Yeah, yeah, Gary's the founder. And so, uh, yeah, no, 10 years ago, all the windows were boarded up. Uh, there wasn't any sidewalks. And Boondocks came in. He actually helped change. It was a dry county. Helped change that up, became the first brewery, and really just been a, a pillar, a bastion in this community. And so if you walk Main Street, it's gorgeous. You have antique stores, you have art galleries, you have consignment stores, fun coffee shops. Um, so definitely hit Main Street. You will not be lacking in finding something to do. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you, Lou, for coming out. I appreciate All right. it. All right. Try some beers. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. my favorite part. <laughs> You know, it's hard to believe, but you can't live on just beer and cheese. Our West Jeff favorites for dining include Havana Cafe, with a sharply authentic presentation of Cuban favorites like black beans and rice, picadillo, patacón, and of course, a great Cubano. I heartily endorse Kristen's Hooked on Smoke barbecue truck on the south side of town. She's been at barbecue a long time, and the truly smoky pulled pork and lusciously rich mac and cheese proves it. But... If you're staying at a place with a stove, or a grill, or just camping with a fire pit, you really need to get some of the fantastic sausages at the Ramblin' Poppy, a custom butcher shop right on Main Street. Carl got six different ones for a feast when we arrived in town, and only the excellent merguez was even close to anything we'd had before. I decided we needed to know more. 
So hey, I'm here with uh, John Dean, the butcher at Ramblin' Poppy in West Jefferson. How you doing? Good, man. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> it's, hey, any morning in West Jefferson is pretty nice. There you go. So. There you go. Yeah, so how long have you been here? Uh, we got here, it's been about three years exactly. So okay. it would have been like July of the 2020, the pandemic year. Okay. So Yeah, good time to open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you wind up on West Jeff? Are you from here? Or? No, um, I've been up in the area for about 20 years uh, working in restaurants. I was a chef, um, you know, in a couple different places. Owned a restaurant that didn't make it through the first three months of the pandemic. Um, and so we decided to pivot and come out here and get this going okay so, yeah it's been a good move for us been it's been nice why a butcher shop because it beats the restaurant industry okay um, you know it's <laughs> uh so when you're 40 years old and that's all you know then uh you look for ways to try to make that happen and so like we'd always made our own hot dogs and sausages at the restaurant okay and it just kind of worked out that you know we we're like yeah well, let's go over to west jefferson it was like you know beginning to you know you're starting to see some shortages in meat and this sort of, sort of thing and you know we already had the experience cutting animals and you know, make a sausage from the restaurant. And so we figured out we'd come out over here and try to make it work this way. Okay. So, and, and just, I mean, you can't miss it coming in the place. You are a full on butcher shop, but sausages are your thing. Sausage is this thing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what drives it. Like, you know, <laughs> if you look at the board from like our first month or two open to now it's changed a lot. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, we did pre-cut steaks. We, you know, did, you know, like roulades and things like that, uh, chicken cushions where you're stuffing chicken with a sausage, that sort of thing. Oh. You know, what, what really kind of, you know, pushed the place, drove the place was the sausage. So, you know, within like two months, we went from, you know, having maybe <laughs> three or four sausages in the case to three dozen, you know, yeah. and so, and then yeah. just started working from there and then built up our repertoire from there. So how many do you have on regularly? Th uh, we, we try to run three dozen. We wow. probably made 450 different kinds over the years. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's anything from like classic sausages to like sure. weird sausages that we find in like obscure cookbooks from Spain. Like this one that was like Salvador Dali's favorite that has eggs and heavy cream and cinnamon and lemon zest in it and so it's just it's a lot of a lot of different ones you know at this point we've probably forgotten more than we remember i mean we'll have somebody come in that hasn't been in in two years oh, going, hey you have that. you made this i'm like man i don't even remember making that so yeah it's, it's been interesting it's been fun but we count on a lot of our people coming in to remind us about these things so, okay you know and that's what we tell everybody i mean if there's something that you had a couple years ago Give us a call if you're coming into the shop in a couple days because we'll make it. Uh, we, and, you know, we have a great, you know, reference of all of our resumes that we are not resumes, recipes that we put sure. together. That it just takes us some digging through. We could usually find it. Cool. So, the and I'm doing air quotes here. The best way to cook a sausage that depends on the sausage, right? It depends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's one thing in the South. You know, we're, we've been trying to, you know, I, di I didn't grow up eating a lot of link sausage. You know, I mean, link sausage is, you know, I think traditionally more. You know, your German, your Italian, you know, people that move over here and you see a lot of it in the north. You see a lot of it in, you know, Buffalo and Pittsburgh and places like that. You know, and in the south, you're pretty much with like a loose sausage, a country sausage, okay. something like that. So we've done a lot of like trying to teach people. If people come in here and go, how do I cook this? And you go, well, you know, you can slow cook it. You can smoke it. You can simmer it. I mean, there's some that, you know, have like the potato in it, like the Swedish potato that you want to simmer for. Like, mm. They tell me like an hour, uh, you know, um, so it just kind of depends on the sausage. It really does. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, you know, as long as you cook them low, you know, you don't introduce a lot of high heat at first, a lot of flame at first, and you're not going to have to worry about them splitting. You're not going to have to worry about them, you know, do anything like that. So, I mean, at the same, you're just kind of cooking. I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw a batch in the microwave, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, in any way is a pretty good way, I think. So, you, th you said you think you've made probably... 
400? I think 400, 450. Yeah, yeah. And some of them have worked. Some of them haven't. You know, we've kind of gotten our base recipes down at this point after three years where we kind of know what can work and what won't. But that first couple months we were here, I mean, I think we probably – that first month, especially, we probably threw away more sausages than we made. Just trying to figure oh, out, sure, you People know, not like, what goes mm-hmm. into them, what doesn't, you yeah. know. And so a lot of the sausages we have are, you know, classic recipes. And we're like, okay, what if we took this out and added this? What if we added this? And, you know, and, and they're all proven recipes, so they work at, they work at this point. Yeah, I mean, so. when we came down here last week, Carl had bought a bunch of sausage. And, and I mean, your merguez was... Yeah, that Lamborghini is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really nice. I worked for a French guy. I was I, I classically trained for, uh, uh, chef, and then I worked um, for a French guy years ago, and he's kind of had a little North African influence, and that's mm. kind of how mm-hmm. the merguez came around. It's a combination of a couple different merguezes, um, but it there, but it turned out great, and it works, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, people dig it. Is there? I mean, there are there clear favorites, ones that you make all the time because people just love them. Yeah, um, you know, we probably have about four or five. You know, like the elk. We have an elk blackberry pear. We do a wild wow. boar peach and chipotle. Uh, we do a bison with roasted red pepper and smoked gouda. The cheer wine barbecue, <laughs> um, and then it all kind of flows from there. Yeah, but that uh-huh. seems to be you know kind of uh, the start of that. And then of course you have your Italians and your Polish and things like that that sure. we have to have. But um, as far as like you know the four or five base ones that you know that's probably the ones we use. Okay. So I mean, do you have a favorite? Do I? I, I like the Hungarian. I like the Merguez. Okay. Um, so you know, spicier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I like them with like, you know, Hungarian's great because it's got like caraway seed and it's got allspice, um, you know, and that's probably one of my favorites. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's something that could be good smoke, something that could be cold, something that could be good, you know, it's just a good sausage. So, and do, yeah. do, you, do you do any smoke or are you just all no, fresh? No, no, we're just all fresh. All we're fresh. all fresh. Okay. Yeah, that's where our, you know, our certification comes from with the health department is, you know, every, everything's just okay. got to be fresh, nothing cooked. So that's, gotcha. what we, that's how we do. So And um, you mentioned the Cheerwine Barbecue. Do you use a lot of local stuff? Uh, we try to. We try to have a local influence. Uh-huh. You know, um, you know, the cheer wine just came about one day because we were walking out and there's a cheer wine bottling place right. right behind us. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, we do like a pimento cheese sausage. Um, oh, okay. That you know is kind of roots in the south. Uh, you know, country sausages, things like that. You know, and if if you know ramps when ramps come around oh, in like nice. April or May, if somebody comes by with like a couple pounds of ramps, we'll run a ramp sausage for a little while. So, okay. Yeah, until we get tired of smelling them. Yeah, right. Then, you know, it, it, that doesn't take long. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Other than that, I mean, yeah, we try to do as much as we can. So cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, that'll do me, John. Thanks. Cool, man. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Good talking to you. Yeah, take care. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, there's more to Ashe County than just West Jefferson. The little town of Lansing is about 20 miles north on the north branch of the New River, along what used to be known as the Virginia Creeper Railroad. Unfortunately, unlike the stretch of this line in Virginia that's been turned into a fantastic rail trail, which I heartily encourage you to ride, it's a blast, and only 45 minutes from West Jeff. Here, the railroad only survives in a few parks, like the one along the river in Lansing. But across the main street is about four blocks of nicely reviving downtown. You can get some regional groceries at CJ's Market and get a beer or ice cream while you're shopping local crafts at the Old Orchard Creek General Store. Check their Instagram about the live traditional music that pops up here pretty often in the summer. Right next door is Pie on the Mountain, a pizza shop that goes local as much as they can. We had a chicken dinner pizza yesterday that was fresh and delicious. The name references High on the Mountain, a favorite song of Ulla Bell Reed, a noted clawhammer banjo player from Lansing, who's memorialized in an annual musical festival here. We also dropped in at the Liar's Bench, 
a laid-back bar up the street that pays homage to the general store bench where the old boys in town used to swap yarns. They do live music on Friday nights, and they were happy to let Pippin nap on the floor while we enjoyed draft beers and cider. Speaking of cider, that's the main reason we go to Lansing. Molly Chomper Cider is just back of town, and we thought their cider was so good we had it shipped to us in Pennsylvania through the pandemic. I had to go there and get an interview, and I did. Hey, I'm at Molly Chomper Cider in Lansing, North Carolina, with uh, Kate Arscott, the owner at Molly Chomper. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming by. This is going to be a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. This is... I mean, we have liked your cider for literally years, and it's really nice to finally be here. Yeah. I particularly like, and I'll mention that the Mountain Maelstrom is just, I really like that cider. That was actually the very first one we made. Really? So when we started at the farm, on our back hauler, which we had um, at that point maybe 30 acres, I think at that point, and there were all kinds of just random crab apples and trees that were not planted on purpose ah. um, and so we were going in the back hauler and with our backpacks on and hauling all these apples down wow. from the hills and then also the farm that we make the blueberry cider from mm-hmm. orchard creek farm they have a really old orchard and we went and picked a bunch of apples nice. from their trees and we made our very first cider on our back patio which we then fermented <laughs> in our guest room but that was our first batch of mountain maelstrom and nice. it was like the one that we used to say, can we make a cider that people will like? And we got a good response. So yeah. that was our very first cider. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it is a little bit different every time? So all of our ciders are a little bit different okay. every time because it's agriculture, right? Yeah. We have huge spreadsheets that say exactly how many bushels of what kind of varieties of apples go into every cider. But it's what is ripe at that time that we have decided to go in. But every year, more of certain varieties make it through the frosts and the hails Uh, and the droughts and the pollinations than other varieties. So even though we're trying to make the same cider, it's more like what you would think of a wine where there's every year slightly different, even though it's we do our best to make it the same. It's never going to be exactly the same. And there's years where we can't make ciders. Like Schoolhouse is all the late summer fruit. And that year... I can't remember which year we had a very late frost, and it took out all of that fruit for the most part. So we yeah. couldn't even make it that year. So they are slightly different, but they are a very curated selection okay. that we use. There's two things um, the listeners are going to want to know. Uh, the name is the first one. I mean, you, the Molly Chomper and the and the goat. But there's no goat. Is that right? There is no goat because so we moved up from Atlanta. Okay, and I had this pastoral view of what our farm was going to be like we were going to have goats and we were going to milk them and i would make cheese and you know the whole nine yards sure. but the folks that we bought our original apples from ron and suzanne joiner who are a couple up here they've been saving all the heirloom apples oh, they nice. went around to different farms and took sandwood and propagated them so they wouldn't die out there's been a couple people who have done that in north carolina mm-hmm. so they have an old appalachian heirloom farm of or Appalachian heirloom apple farm. And so we got most of our apples from them and they have spent so much time and effort. They're really attached to them. And so when I told Suzanne I was going to get goats, her eyes grew as big as saucers and she was like, they're going to eat all the trees. Oh, right. Not just the apples. The trees. They will just take the tree completely down. And so I was like, 
but we could fence it. She's like, no, the fences will not work. They will eat your trees. And so we had to give up on that. So Molly is as close as we're getting to a goat. Uh-huh. So that's our goat. It's Pennsylvania podcast. Pennsylvanians don't generally think of North Carolina when they think of apples or cider. And I've learned to mainly because of your cider. But tell us about North Carolina apples and why you make cider here. Well, we're in North Carolina because when we moved from Atlanta, we had a spreadsheet of places we wanted to move to. And this was one of the top ones for fly fishing, near family, cost of living. So that's why it's North Carolina. For as long as the apples, when we moved up here, we didn't actually plan to make cider. We were going to do a market garden, but it's extremely hard to make a living off a market garden on five acres. Okay. Especially when some of that's house, you know, not all of it's available. Oh, right. Okay. Then we started seeing, as you walk, as you drive around, you know, you see the apples all over the place. They've Mm -hmm. been spread by the deer and all the animals, but then also because this was a more sustenance farming type mm-hmm. community everyone had their grandfather who put in a small family orchard so those little orchards tucked up all over the place wonderful varieties of apples that you've never heard of in the grocery store that everyone has access to and there was no nothing being done with them other than people canning them or you know using them personally but not on a commercial basis mm-hmm. but way more than they could actually uh, use themselves okay. so we thought One, we could grow apples because clearly they grow up here. There's certain varieties that do really well here. We get the cold that you need to get them through, you know, the winter so that they'll actually blossom the next year. So up here, there's no huge orchards. I think ours is maybe one of the bigger ones locally. Oh, wow. Um, But there's all these apples that have huge amount of flavor in them versus the big commercial orchards where they have a lot of gala or red delicious and yellow delicious apples up here are may not even know the name of them they've got great flavor they've got a history of someone's grandpa you know who planted them so we get like people selling us apples you know five ten bushels off whatever tree they don't even know the name of so the last question i had the, the reason we like your ciders and the reason i came back and the reason we keep coming back thanks um <laughs> is you kind of straddle the line between the sweet mass market ciders and the punishingly dry artisanal ciders? What, what, what's your philosophy? What, why do you make what you make? So, this is always a, a point of debate between Tim and myself. So, we, <laughs> so it was just the two of us when okay. we started, right? And we're having to make all the decisions. Right. When you're pressing the fruit, what fruit you're using, like how much bitter fruit are you using, yeah. how much sharp fruit, how much whatever fruit you're using. And then once it's all fermented, what are you doing when you blend it? Because we don't normally press something ferment it, and then bottle that. We right. do that some, but it's definitely by choice. Most of our stuff is a bunch of stuff that has been fermented and matured, and then we do blending trials where you taste all of the bulk ciders, and then you decide what goes together with what. Does the sweetness add anything? Just like a pinch of salt adds to a meal. Sometimes the sugar brings out aromas and flavors. Okay. Whereas when it's dry, it's too much and it needs kind of a little mellowing or it needs that little bit of sugar to kind of bring out something or to tone something down. And so because Tim and I have different palates, he was always more aligned with the funky, dry, that end of things. And Mm -hmm. I am a more fruity, a little bit sweeter, like that's my palate. And so what we try to do is create enough ciders that meet both of what we both like, but always, always, always try to get the balance. 
So basically, each of us are advocating for the ciders that we really love, but we figure if we hit the whole gamut, then most people are going to find at least one or two that they love, and then they're going to find some that they're like, that's so not for me. Yeah. You know, like, I don't particularly love wild yeast ciders, whereas Tim really likes some of those. Okay. So we do some of those, and then we do some of the sweeter, fruit-forward ones that I like. Cool. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming up and asking questions. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. Thanks. Well, that's all for Ash County. We'll be headed over to Richmond for a family get-together this weekend, and then it's back to central Pennsylvania, at least for a while. I want to add something personal here at the end, a brief eulogy for a good friend who died unexpectedly this past week, Tom Johnson. I met Tom in Minnesota in 2017, introduced by our mutual friend, Marty Duffy. Tom was presenting for a company he worked with, Aroma Academy, which had kits for teaching folks how to tease out the individual aromas in whiskeys. He was a folksy guy, erudite, and self-effacing. He and Marty and I were soon doing a series of talks on the taste and aroma of whiskeys. Tom talking the nitty-gritty of blending aromas, me talking where the aromas came from in the process, and Marty telling stories, which is what he's really good at. It was a great show. As I got to know Tom, I learned that he'd worked in Hollywood, he'd worked for political campaigns, and he was getting back to magazine writing. He'd just sold his biggest story only a few months ago, which seems tragic now, or lucky. But the reason I'm talking about him here, with you, is because Tom was the biggest fan seen through a glass had. I'll let him tell it. Here's something he posted on Facebook after listening to the maple syrup episode. For a long time, I pestered my friend Lou Bryson to do a podcast about something other than whiskey and beer. Lou is avuncular and interesting and funny, and he knows a whole bunch of stuff about things that have nothing to do with whiskey or beer. But he's a modest man who is, I think, skeptical of his ability to be interesting about things beyond his area of specialization. So now Lou has 10 episodes of Seen Through a Glass, which is a brilliant construct for a show. Lou still talks about beer and whiskey, but he uses those things as an excuse to explore and report on the world around him. This episode is about Pennsylvania maple syrup, and it is both charming and fascinating. He talks a little about beer, but 90% of the show is him interviewing people and talking about syrup and the culture that has grown up around it. It's perfectly balanced. In his writing, Lou has a charming and conversational voice, and he has transferred that voice to this project. It's public radio quality podcasting. Everyone should listen. Thanks, Tom. Your support, your friendship, meant the world to me. I already miss you and our conversations. I miss them terribly. Wherever you're writing now, and I know you wouldn't stop, I hope your only editor is you. Well, that's the show. My thanks to Adam, Jake, John, Josh, and Kate for some great interviews. And our huge thanks to Carl and Joan for not only letting us stay at their home, but introducing us to the fun and beauty of Ash County, North Carolina. You can find pictures of most of these places on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll find pictures and links and ways to contact me. Please consider subscribing to get notice of new episodes, and if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Even better, tell your friends. Thanks. 
I do have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree, Twitter profile, both are at Lou Bryson, and at the Seen Through a Glass Facebook page and blog. If you like the show, rather than a paid subscription, this is an easy way to drop me a few bucks to help keep this going, to pay for tips for bartenders, gas for the Subaru, and a couple of beers. Thanks to those of you who have already donated. You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked on an episode, what could be improved, and what central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. Hush puppies have no actual puppy in them, but they are indeed quiet. The next episode might have some Richmond stuff, but I'm planning an episode on Carlisle soon after that. We're also planning a two-week trip to Colorado in the fall, and I have some distillery visits I'd definitely like to make there. Work on our house continues, and our fingers are crossed. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass, temporarily coming from the lost province of North Carolina. Thank you.